Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us. We're that platform that allows you to build HR dashboards, custom HR metrics, and perform data quality on all your HR data from one place. That's right. We know that a lot of you HR and people leaders out there are struggling, trying to do reporting, trying to get a data-driven understanding of your workforce, and you're always thinking, how can I do this easier, faster, and without all of this pain? Well, look no further. That's why we created Employee Cycle. You simply connect Employee Cycle to your HRIS, ATS, and other HR systems you're using. And shortly after, you can view, share, and track all of your HR data in out-of-the-box dashboards. And you can build custom metrics and, of course, do data quality errors to make sure that all your data and employee fields are complete. If you're interested in this and you would like to make your life so much easier then please check out EmployeeCycle.com, go to our website, sign up for a demo. We would love to give you a free trial and explore how we can help you automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have an awesome guest. So please help me welcome to the show, Sony Kotman. She's the Senior Director of Global Total Rewards at Reputation. And today we're discussing how to create a job architecture leveling framework. Sony. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Sony! Welcome! <laughs> I should get that every morning when I start work. I love it. <laughs> oh, for just $1 per class, I am here for you. Just let me know where to show up, and you can get that entrance every time you walk into any place in or Zoom room. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right. So, Sony, before we go into this interesting topic... We're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Oh, yeah, it's the million-dollar question, right? Well, just like probably everybody else out there, I, did not, um, I didn't have my, my heart set on HR as a career growing up, but um, I did. Uh, HR kind of just landed in my lap when I started my first contractor role for an architectural firm back in 2004. And I started off as uh, just providing administrative support to all of the corporate functions. And somehow HR kind of just got a hold of me and I ended up doing majority of my my day-to-day for the HR team, which consisted of a couple of folks and uh, recruitment was really lacking. So I just took a liking to recruitment. I ended up put together a little proposal to the CEO to move me into a, a, a formal recruiting role. And uh, the rest is history. I started off in talent acquisition, moved my way up. I've been an HR generalist. Uh, I've worked, I've consulted for organizations. I've worked on staffing firms. I've done in-house corporate recruiting and then slowly ventured out to leadership management, change management, building teams, and uh, worked my way into total rewards. And here we are talking about level mapping and compensation. Awesome. Always appreciate a great HR origin story. All right, Sony. So today we're discussing how to create a job architecture leveling framework, which is a mouthful to say. 
It so, is. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, it's all good. We are here to educate, educate, and educate. So before we get into how to create this in efforts to make the most actionable interview possible, I first need to ask you, what is a job architecture leveling framework and why is it important to do in the first place? Great question. So at the end of the day, is it really needed? Um, No, you can definitely run an organization and a company without any type of framework. But as companies start to scale, and uh, especially if they continue to, their growth plan is to continue to scale and and grow at a rapid rate, you want to make sure that you, as as an organization, that there's guidelines and parameters put in place uh, when you're hiring folks and you've got somewhat of a, a system. Why it's important, number one, to avoid any type of pay disparities. So if there's going to be major gaps in compensation, you want to know what those gaps are, where they exist, and why they exist in case if you ever run into a situation where you have to explain that. So just having some type of architecture really helps define and and, and showcase those those gaps. And also, uh, you want to Keep you want to keep your company equitable as well, right? So I think, especially if you're a performance-based culture, we do pay for performance. We pay, we pay the individual, not necessarily the job, but also we we want to make sure that whatever we're paying our folks, they're staying within these guidelines that we as an organization determine. So we determine. We know what our budget is. We determine approximately what we want to pay for each role, and we have guidelines to support that. So in the future. As we continue to scale, right, and, and, and hire folks, as we work on internal transfers or promotions, whatever the case might be, internal mobility, you always want to ensure that whatever comp- compensation decision you're making, you're looking at the entire picture. You're taking in all of the context, that you're not focusing on one role at one time in a siloed fashion. Because if you do that, then you're going to end up with a situation where you've got major gaps, major disparities. And um, and then you're going to realize, oh, I think I should put together a level mapping job architecture system to help me. Very, very interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong, but a job architecture leveling framework, it's really not something that you either don't have at all or you have, but it more so sounds like the core of this is to just understand how you're paying your people But if you really want to level up and have a much deeper, more comprehensive understanding of what this looks like, that's when you create this job architecture leveling framework. Is that correct? Or am I thinking about this incorrect? Yeah. No, you're correct. It can serve both purposes. Absolutely. But yes, that's correct. It's it's to really help kind of... I guess really put together those that framework and guidelines for your entire org. So no, you're you're absolutely correct. Okay, great. I appreciate that. So then for our audience, if they hear this and it may sound scary, it may sound like they don't even they couldn't imagine having enough time or resources or energy to put this together. I would love for you to help break down for anyone who is interested in doing this, where do they start and what would they have already have done? to then move this in the direction of what we're talking about today? So for starters, I work in tech. That's typically been all of my experience too throughout my career. So when I speak to leveling today, it's primarily in the tech vertical. So I just want to kind of make that known because I know folks, you got folks in BFS, you got folks in retail, healthcare, it differs, right? But in tech, how, how you go about putting together a framework. So we use Radford 
which is a very well-known tool. Some might have heard of other comp tools like Mercer, but Radford is the main primary tool that most tech companies use. So a lot of the, the leveling and the terminology within Radford is what wide known on a, on a national level, right? So what we've done is we've taken the, our tool Radford where we get all of our level mapping data, external data. So if we have a job that opens up, we're looking to hire for a brand new role. You can plug in what the criteria is, the location, the job family, the job function. Is it an individual contributor or is it a manager role? Depending on what you're looking for, you can plug in the data and Radford then spits out or gives you a range. It gives you a minimum, mid, and max. So now you've got a wide comp range and now you've got a level for that particular role. So Radford gives us all of that external data. Now, when you're building out a job architecture, you can take that data from Radford, all the different levels, and you apply it to your current infrastructure. And then from there, you start mapping your employees as to, depending on their level of performance and their actual level of role that they're hired for, what level they should be mapped to. And once you've got that, now you're slowly putting folks in these buckets, so to speak. So for example, if I'm an individual contributor midway through my career, I would be a P3 or a P4. P stands for professional. Professional level three, let's say professional level four. I want to move up. You know, now I want to move up to more senior level. Okay. So now we're looking at moving me to maybe a P5 or a P6. Well, what does that look like? What do I need to get there? How much experience do I need to have under my belt? So not only are we not, not only are we mapping folks to the correct level, but all the while doing it, we're actually putting together career matrix, which is a second part of this huge initiative. And what the career matrix does is it really helps you put together somewhat of an internal mobility program to allow your employees to not only look at, see what current level they're at, but what do they need to do to get to another level? What are the skill sets that they need to adopt over the next year or two? How long is it going to take them to get there? You know, especially if you're moving up two levels or three levels. That's not a one-year move. That's not a two-year move. So for some folks, it takes a few years. But not knowing that, I think that's what causes a lot of just not necessarily turmoil, but people jumping ship, people not feeling like they've got growth opportunities. So this job architecture that we're doing, and I think in just in general, it serves it's multi-purposes, right? So it's not just getting folks mapped and now we've got comp ranges for everybody and we know approximately where everybody is and what they should be paid. But you've got the career matrix part of it. You've got the retention part of it. You've got the growth part of it. And all of that is just literally empowering your employees to have the knowledge base to know and equipping your managers to have the knowledge base to know what level everyone's at. And then also what, what do they need to build out from a career matrix standpoint to get their teams to the next level? And when you're saying career matrix, are you using that interchangeably for career pathing or is that something different? Yes. No, same, same. Okay. Okay. As you're providing insights around this career path and you're using this job architecture leveling framework as the core of that process, how many people are involved in all of this? Because I could imagine that, and maybe this has already been solved, but I could imagine that as companies, especially tech companies, come up with new roles and new titles, that maybe platforms like Radford that you're using to look at all the different levels, the P3, the P4, and all these different variables that Radford is providing, I'm assuming that they might not always match up one-to-one. 
where it be apples to apples in regards to a specific role that you have versus the type of role or job function that you're looking at in Radford. So is this the job of one person to figure all this out or not one person, but one team in total rewards, or is this more total rewards working with department leaders, also working with recruiters, also working with a lot of other stakeholders to bring this to life? So the actual project itself, it's, it's myself and my team. So I've got a couple of team members uh, that are supporting and we're working in partnership with our HR business partners. So we have a couple of HRBPs that are very well versed in the business, right? So you look at HRBPs front of the house, you look at compensation, total rewards, back of the house. So me and my team, we're back of the house. We're creating all of the processes, the systems, the infrastructure to serve and support the business. So I'm actually partnering with the front of the house, our HRBPs, to help implement, deliver, gather all of this data. We are working in collaboration with the business. So each business leader, we're actually, we've met with them and we've gone through their entire team and we've mapped everybody. And then from that, we've also have given them the basic framework that they need to start putting together their career matrix or their career pathing. So you got to look at career pathing as it being very individualized to each department, right? So in engineering, for example, P1s, P2s, P3s. So we've got P1s all the way through P6s. You know, we've got M1s through M6s. M is a manager uh, role. P is professional. S's are support. Those are really, really um, entry-level backend. We don't have a lot of S's. A majority of our business are in the P's and the M's. And then our fourth criteria that we're using for mapping is our E-codes, E1, all the way to E5. And those are executives. So anybody that's a VP or above is in in the E-code. But to map everybody, each leader knows their team best, right? We can come in and use our best judgment as HR based on the job description and the role and what we think that this individual is doing. But... From a performance standpoint, from a level of experience standpoint, the leader knows their team best. So we're working in partnership with the leader to determine which level each individual is going to need, needs to be mapped at. And then the leader is working on putting together their own career matrix for each of their areas of their business. So HR, for example, you've got total rewards, you've got talent, you have benefits, you've got um, HRIS. Each function within that family is going to have an entirely different, a different uh, career matrix. So a P1 to a P2 to a P3, the criteria for a recruiter is going to look a lot different than an HR ops person going from P1, P2 to P3, just like in engineering or marketing. And going from a P2 to a P3 to a P4 is going to be very different than an engineering P2 to a P3. So the reason why I'm kind of breaking that down is because I want to just you know, explain that this is not a one person or one team initiative. It is a big uh, collaboration, but the actual, the leveling data, the definitions, all of that, the glossary of terms, everything, I essentially, I own that with my team. And we're the ones that are kind of working with our HRBPs to go out to the business and implement it. I hope that helps. Did that answer? It did. It did. Thank you for that. This all seems like a very comprehensive and data-driven process. Yes, it is. <laughs> what What have you learned? <laughs> this is a lot. What have you learned that you think you can share with the team from things that you and your team got right throughout this process and also things that you wish you could have had a redo over that could help our audience avoid some potholes or potential issues as they go through this process? Um, I definitely. So I... 
the biggest thing that I can share with the, the audience out there and the viewers listening in is that really, really understand what your compensation philosophy is prior to even beginning this exercise. Just have a really solid idea of what the what your comp philosophy is. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? What is it that this data is going to do, right? Is it, Are you trying to put this together just to have comp ranges so you know what to hire people in? Or are, we do, are you doing this so you actually can build out a career pathing? Are you doing this so managers are more hands-on with their orgs and they can access all this leveling data and make decisions without partnering with HR. You know, each company, it's each to their own. And I know that sounds really broad, but I think it's very, very imperative that whoever's leading this really takes a step back, determines what their philosophy is, what is it that they're trying to accomplish, what's the end goal, and then from there, build it out. If you don't have that in the beginning, which, you know, I've, I've learned through, through the work I've done is that you're going to run into roadblocks that you won't be able to make certain decisions because you don't know yet what your philosophy is, what you're trying to do. So when you're having conversations with leaders, when you're talking about leveling, when you're discussing, when all of this gets built out in your HRIS system, for us, it's workday. I need to be able to understand and answer and be able to communicate to the business on Okay, how is this data going to be used? Who's going to have access to it? What are they going to, going to see? What are they not going to see? What are the managers going to see? All of that. So there's there's the philosophy, philosophical part of this, right? And how each organization treats comp. Do, do you have set comp ranges that you abide by? Or are they just simply more guidelines? And if you're in tech, it's a performance-based industry. Everybody knows that. It's not hard, these hard lines where you got to pay your level two engineers this amount and that's it. You want to stay competitive also without going over your budget either. So, you, you know, there's a lot of things to take into account, but I think that would, that would be my biggest takeaway is just really determining and outlining the philosophy part of it prior to beginning and executing on this such a large initiative. That's really interesting, especially the philosophy part. You may have already covered some examples as you were going through everything you should be thinking about when first starting this process, but can you give a very concrete example of what a compensation philosophy is? Oh, absolutely. So one of the, for example, a compensation philosophy for me would be what type of um, organization are we and how often, so guidelines on promotions, how much? How often do folks have to be in their roles to get promoted? Do we want our employees to have access to their current level? And then what the market data is for that level? Or do we not? And the reason why you wouldn't and why I would lean more towards that is because market data is market data. That's all it is. And you can literally plug in data and cut it in 20 different ways till Sunday and get a different number. So it's important to understand all that when you're putting together your philosophy. So as a company, do, do we want employees to see? their current level? Do we want them to see what they need to do to get to the next level? Do our managers going to see what their employees, what levels they're at, which obviously they would, right? Why that's for us, that's a lot of big part of this exercise too. Then our managers going to be able to make, see what the next level up for each employee is. And also, are we going to share that market data or are we just going to share internal data? Um, and then the other part of the philosophy too, is really understanding, you know, just the total reward statement and package. And, and again, how are we going to make that visible? And in what shape or form are we going to show that to our employees? Part of this too is employees don't understand or do or do not, but um, they, they, they tend to forget that their total comp package is much more than just their salary. So part of this philosophy also ties in with the rest of the rewards that they're getting, like benefits. 
uh, stock options if if companies offer that um, PTO, right? Do, depending on what your PTO policy is, we have unlimited for our exempt employees. So that's kind of a, uh, we don't really, it's, it's a bit of a moot point, but still it's something that's part of their, their comp package. So those are some of the high level philosophy, I guess, areas that I would recommend businesses, businesses to focus on prior to uh, embarking on the job architecture journey. <laughs> that was awesome. And then my last question you just went over a lot of really great and descriptive and valuable wisdom that you've provided with a lot of numbers and a lot of different things that I'm sure people were scribbling down and probably have to listen to this interview again to really get all the info. But if there was one thing that you would want anyone listening to this, especially those HR and people leaders listening who are either thinking about going through this process, going through it now, or trying to figure out how can they change some of the things that they already did in their process and update everything they've already done. What is one thing that you would want them to remember from everything that you said? So definitely always remember that when making any type of compensation decisions, whether it's hiring people externally or whether it's promoting somebody within your company, um, whether it's for your team, every comp decision you make, Never make it in a siloed fashion. And what I mean by that is always look at the entire big picture and take in all of the context. And the big, if when you don't have a, a decent HRI system or don't have an architecture built out and don't have comp ranges, you can't do that. It's really difficult to do that. Part of this is that every time now at reputation, we make any type of comp decision or, or, or decision on whether we're going to hire or in promote or whatever we do, we are now looking at each decision with all, in the entirety of the org. So we're looking at all of the context. For example, if I'm going to hire somebody today on my team and I don't exactly know what that role is and what I, how much I want to pay them, well, I would take a step back and I would look at my entire team. I would look at my current org chart. I would look at where everybody's at. How much am I currently spending today as a manager on my entire team? Okay. All right. I have my number. Now I want to, this is what my future org chart looks like. I want to hire this individual. They're going to manage people. Okay. Where would they fit in? How much, if I brought them in here, if I paid them X amount, is that going to be too high or too low compared to everybody else that's at the same level on my team? But now I've got context. Now I'm actually going to make a decision that's going to make sense and it's going to fit within my org versus the opposite way, which is we look at each individual role and move within the organization at, on its own by itself, like it's like it's on its own island. And that is a lot of ways companies still operate. And I think if anybody that's going to um, look at starting or putting something like this together, it's really important to really take a step back and just remember every decision you make comp related, don't make it in an individual siloed fashion. Look at the entirety of the, of the work and the picture and look at what you're trying to do and then take in all the context and then make the decision and make sure it's actually equitable and it makes sense within what you're building in your org. Sony, this has been such an awesome and educational interview. I know I've learned a whole lot, so I'm sure our audience, again, is just scribbling down notes and trying to retain as much of this as possible because you really broke this down in a way that 
I have never had anyone on the show do this. So kudos to you and really appreciate everything that you shared today. So thank you so much, Sony. Woo! Go, Sony! <laughs> so where I can people... I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And oh, I'm available course. on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to add or connect, I'm, I'm a big networker. So I'm definitely open if anybody has questions or, you know, any of that. I'm, I'm available. So I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone listening out there who enjoyed this interview as much as Sonia and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating. Also, if this is your very first time listening to our podcast and then you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there. Please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.